Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're working in partnership with Beer52 across the next few podcasts to get a free case of Eight unique beers, head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom or use the code wisdom at beer52.com when ordering and cover just the postage cost of £5.95. Beer52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, North and South Korea, California, New Zealand and many more. We've been sampling some of them over the last week and um, yeah, they're, they're excellent. Your package comes with a magazine as well as two snacks and if you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to www.beer52.com forward slash wisdom to order your package today. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. England bounced back in style at Headingley to level up the series with two tests to go. Do India's batsmen need to go back to play more Ranji Trophy cricket? Is 100 actually the perfect preparation for England's batsmen? We'll be answering those questions and more and talking about a very busy week in county cricket. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is former England cricketer Mark Butcher, the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the features editor of Wisdom.com, Taha Hashim. Had the rain stayed away, England could conceivably have lost the first four tests of the home summer. There were seven tests without a win going into Headingley and had a horror final day at Lords. But how do you think England were able to turn things around so emphatically in one day of actual cricket? I have no idea whatsoever. Um, it's, it's the maddest game sometimes. Um, you know, make a couple of changes in selection. Uh, bring in Milan at number three, Hasib who we've all in the pod been saying should be opening the batting since doomsday. Um, and then suddenly, the, you, you know, you end, up with, you end up with an opening partnership of over 100. I mean, when was the last time that happened? And um, Joe Root makes another sublime 100. Um, and and, and the, then the bowlers go and do what they have been doing pretty much for the summer. I mean, the bowlers have been largely blameless barring the, um, <clears throat> the madness at Lord's on uh, whatever day that was, day five. Um, and suddenly England are like a test team again. I mean, I can't. There's no. <clears throat> there's no real explanation for it, is there? I mean, it does. It does sort of your intro there in the question. Um, 
rather in a rather tongue-in-cheek fashion pose the uh, pose the, the the dilemmas and the conundrums that people have been throwing at it you know England have played more red ball cricket leading into the New Zealand series than at any other point and were utterly hopeless they played nothing but the 100 um, prior to the, Le- the Lord's Test match and were utterly hopeless they've done absolutely nothing else but wait until the next Test match start and were utterly brilliant so <clears throat> none of the things none of the reasons given for why um, for why we've been so bad barring you know some players who are perhaps not good enough um, in terms of the batters and uh, some others who are horribly out of form that, those are the only things really to explain what's going on and they, uh, they had a great game a great game and India were, were, were spineless which is not something you say about them very often mm. Joe I, I, it kind of feels that the feel of a team can change quite quickly when you have a couple of batsmen in the top four who look like they're in nick Milan came in and looked very very good uh, Burns found some form again in Hamid with a really impressive 60 that suddenly looks like a much more stable team than it did 10 days ago yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought we've always felt with this England team that there are enough good players in there that they can pull off wins when you don't expect them because they have got those players in their side. But what I don't think any of us expected was such a complete team performance. There were so many players who stuck their hands up and, and performed well. They weren't just riding off the back of Root's brilliance, although there was more of that. And it wasn't just uh, Anderson's genius, although there was a bit of that as well. Uh, this was everyone chipping in and, and, as you say, having a top four all make a score. Uh, I mean, there were some stats flying around. It was the first time since a, a test match against Bangladesh that, uh, that no New Zealand in 2013, right. where Steve Finn scored 56 as a night watch. Night watch. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a different world we're talking about, <laughs> basically. Uh, yeah, I think there's England should should and will take great heart from that performance, uh, and also from the performance of India, who suddenly just fell to pieces. I mean. England's bowling rightly got lauded in, on that first day. They bowled brilliantly, but if India's batsmen played some of the sh- sorry, if England's batsmen played some of the shots that India's batsmen did, we would be hammering them right now. So I think it's only fair that we that we call them out as well. There's some really poor, poor shots in amongst some excellent bowling. So yeah, amazing. It's a, it's a big turnaround. And now, uh, if, if I pretended to know what was going to happen at the Oval, it would be nothing more than that absolute pretense. It could go either way. And it's, it's been a great series because of that. Yeah, on India's batting, 78 all out after winning the toss and batting first on the first day. And then despite a really good day with the bat on day three, they, they did collapse in a heap again. Um, that India batting up is full of so many big names, but it's it's so brittle once the, the top two or three go. Yeah, and it, it's a weird one because after what happened in that first day, you just saw, okay, the game's kind of, gone here but in, India actually fought back quite well I thought with with the ball with, when they were you know against that England sort of middle order lower order they, they got through that and then you know Rohit, Rohit bad well and then you know Pajara came into his own it was it was the first time in the series that we kind of finally saw him ticking and he, he got to got to 91 brilliant obvious legs Kohli was at the other end and it kind of felt like right we've lost this game but we're still we've, we've still got a series to win and we've still got a chance here to to make some runs to to get ourselves into position and you know have some sort of a momentum but it was always the question was you know they finished that day with 80 overs on the board so the question for day four was can you get through an hour two hours of, of the new ball and this is where the real problem lies with that indie batting with the new ball and with, with when when you've got Robertson and Anderson who have been England's two best bowlers in the series by by distance and they just immediately from the get-go that day where Robinson and Anderson sort of piled on the maidens. It was like, okay, I can't really see this. Can't really see them getting through this. And then they just they just went through them. And then 
you know, two or three wickets, it just became sort of inevitable. And everyone joined in on the fun. Moeen joined in on the fun. Overton joined in on the fun. So to just go back on England, I mean, who saw this coming a few weeks ago where you've got Moeen Ali is suddenly England's number one spinner again. He came back from the winter and we thought that was his test career done. David Milan, Siba Mead making half centuries, you know, they, you know, who saw them coming back in? you know this summer Besto yeah. coming in as keeper <laughs> me, I saw both of them both but, playing. but it's just it's it's remarkable how things have shifted and you know Chris Silver got his his two selections spot on for this test didn't he brought, brought in Milan and Overton and both both performed I mean it's quite it's just quite remarkable in the office last week we were comparing this series to a couple of uh, similar series in years gone by and debating whether or not this feels more like the 2010-11 Ashes when Australia won the third test <laughs> by low to level the series up and then lose it 3-1 or the 2014 England-India series where uh, England were 1-0 down after two, win the third and then go on to win that 3-1. What does this feel more like to you? No, well, neither one of those two, to be <laughs> honest. Because, you're still, because you, can, you can still imagine um, England batting first, perhaps at, or batting first perhaps at the Oval on a slate grey sky like this and getting knocked over for 200 again. I mean, nothing. A good one, good performance doesn't suddenly mean that all of those issues have gone away. Um, and you can also see on a on a on a bright blue sunny day, Anderson and and Robinson not making a breakthrough, and India making five hundred. You know what I mean? You can, the, both of those things are still infinitely possible. One of the, I think one of the the, the great um, one of the great sort of lies about around around about England and their bowling potency is when the conditions are like they are uh, heading me. I mean obviously Jimmy Anderson is an absolute sort of genius etc but those conditions are are absolutely unique to certain days in certain places in the UK they kind of do they mean that England in Brisbane on on day 2 3 when it's burning hot and the pitches and doing nothing are going to be able to 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 knock over a terrible Australian batting lineup probably not you know so um, it's just the beauty of this, this whole thing is its, is its unpredictability. But I, I think I think England have still got another, you know, another rick in them in the batting. And if Joe, you know, if Joe Root doesn't make a hundred, which I know <laughs> seems ridiculous to say that at the moment, but he might not. He might not make a hundred again um, in this series. Uh, then you know, England is still still looking for some sort of solidity there. And don't, don't get me wrong, it was wonderful to see the way that the, the two openers played. Great to have a, an experienced guy, campaigner, come in there at number three. Who kind of has got a lot of first-class runs behind him. Albeit, you know, his record isn't great in the UK, but it's Test match cricket, and the ball doesn't always. It's not like playing at Lords for for Middlesex. And I, I'm happy to see him there, um, and he will make the most of it because there's nothing like getting a second chance at that level, as, mm. as I can attest. I I thought Milan's innings was quite interesting because uh, you mentioned his not great home record in his first in at the side, but actually the. Sp- pace with which he bat with I thought was quite interesting in his first stint he was his strike rate was Sibley-esque actually and he got really bogged down um, and to come in and do so well from the get-go because in that session where he came in on, on the second morning Hamid and Burns were really bogged down and barely scored and he actually shifted the momentum of that morning that could have swung quite a lot further in India's direction I thought he was he was really good he just he looked so impressive didn't he I mean I think he he batted as as well as he did when he scored that hundred out in Australia um he looks a bit, he looks a bit calmer, which I thought was interesting, given there was so much at stake that he, given that he feels like he's got so much to prove. But I think he didn't really see this opportunity coming, and it, it feels like he's perhaps putting a little bit less pressure on himself this time. 
he's also got that um, even though it's a different format he's got that confidence of runs in international cricket that he's you know the number one T20 batsman in the world doesn't really count for anything when you're facing a, a, a Dukes but it, it might in your head um, and I thought him yeah that him and Root partnership they just didn't look like getting out actually it took that kind of tickle down the leg side to eventually mo- uh, remove Milan uh, hugely promising and he's probably coming at, at just the right time with a view to the, the future challenges as well you know, if he'd come in at the start of the summer, he might have had a tricky time and been dropped by now. As it is, he's got, what, two tests before uh, a first Ashes test. Uh, and he's, I would say, he's now nailed on to about three in that first Ashes test now. Uh, I mean, there's not much he can do in two test matches to lose that position, to be honest. Uh, especially when he's got runs behind him in Australia. Mm. Tar, how nice was it to see Hasiba Mead score his first test match 50 since 2016? It's been waiting five years for it, <laughs> weren't we all? Um yeah, it was just it was it was just quite surreal, wasn't it? It was just almost a case of you thought oh, this day potentially was never going to come, and I, it was weird when uh, when you know we saw him play at Lords and you know he got out cheaply on two occasions, and it was always kind of like hit me. What if he's not actually that good? <laughs> I'd always just assumed oh he's he's going to be fine once he gets back into Test cricket, uh, but and then there was there was something nervy about watching him that day. Um, but he was yeah he was he was impressive. I mean he he was. Was kind of gifted with the way Ishan Sharma was bowling on that well, first day. I was going to say, Cody would have been furious with the way they yeah. bowled at him. Yeah. Uh, and also, partly, there was very few short balls, which, I mean, surely Coley would have been in, in charge of that if he felt that there was a shortage, but they didn't, it didn't seem to come from from that point of view. And yeah, there were too many boundary balls to, for Hamid just for him to relax. And then they actually saw the next morning, they bowled much, much better him, and he, and he just got completely stuck. And eventually, he, he, he got out when it, it felt like that was inevitable. India will be thinking, why didn't we bowl like that to him on, on day one? And it could have been very different. Now he's got a bit of form, he's got a score behind him, and then Test cricket probably feels a very different place to him. It one thing that's interesting about that, though, is that, is that given, a, given a similar set of circumstances, um, and this is a little bit of poor old Dom Sibley bashing, I'm afraid. But given, given that they'd bowled the same at Sibley as they did at Hamid, would, would Sibley have been able to take advantage to the extent that, that Hamid did? I saw some, you know, I saw some stuff in the newspapers about, oh, you know, he's going to have to learn how not to get stuck on the second day. Well, he's got 60 behind him. He played really <laughs> fluently the day before. Um, with the emphasis on really fluently, you know, okay, they didn't bowl great, but that, hap- that does happen sometimes. But you can, you could have bowled similarly, you would say, at Dom Sibley, and would he have, would he have got to 60, like sort of like flashing the ball around to the boundary yeah. through off and leg side? Probably not. So, you know, you've already, there's already an improvement there, isn't there? Um, and of course, he has, yeah. he has things to learn and, and will get better, you hope. I think that is fair. But equally, Hamid did end day one with a strike rate of about 45 and he was helped by a lot of bad bowling. So well, 45, I, 45 for, for a, 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 an opener who is not Michael Slater or, you know, it's is pretty... And that also doesn't change the point. Would, would Sibley have put away those bad balls is, is the yeah. point, wasn't it? And I, there were certainly a couple of shots that come to mind of Hamid that I, I haven't seen Sibley play mm-hmm. in Test cricket. Um, yeah, that's definitely when fair. He, when he was, you know, f- playing flashing cuts, it was like maybe Dom Sibley might have left those. And he was, you know, Sibley Mead was, you know, he was, he was taking advantage of the polling that was on offer. That's all you can really ask for, right? Jack Rutherford asks, we hear so often from prominent voices in the game that the schedule pitches system don't allow for the development of international class test batsmen in England. But how is that the same first class system that's been able to prepare so many bowlers who seem capable of performing at test level? Thinking not just of Anderson abroad, but the likes of Overton, Wood, Stone and in particular Robinson, who use the domestic first class system to really hone their skills over the years. Um, I think that's particularly interesting on Robinson, who started his, first, his test career um, incredibly well. 
Um, I know that he's done really well in first-class cricket, but he's been almost one of England's most dependable players in the first four tests of his career. Well, I mean, he's he's very good, isn't he? I mean, he's a um, you know a throwback, I suppose, to, to the days of guys like Gus Fraser and whatever, who are just brilliant line bowlers, hit the top of off time and again, ball moves one way or the other. Um, you're in business. Um, and England should have, absolutely should have, myriads of guys who who do that you know Overton is in the same sort of mode um, the, the pitches that that are played on in first class cricket absolutely encourage people to be that accurate and that good not particularly quick but that accurate so uh, you know the game is pretty much set up for those guys you look at the blokes who are taking it we're talking that pace and slower anyway the guys in uh, in first class cricket who are taking taking shed loads of wickets at, at very few runs per wicket and it's them so the, you know that's that's that the game is entirely set up for people that, that like that. Um, you know, Ollie Robinson. Let let's hope that um, you know he he becomes a Josh Hazelwood when we go to go to Australia, etc. And can and can be as effective when the ball will not move as much laterally as it does in England. That's the test, really, as to whether or not that sort of producing that type of bowler is whether that's any good for you in international cricket. My my experience tells me it's not particularly which again is not to say that Ollie Robinson won't be because we don't know that yet but generally speaking that type of bowler has not been wildly successful anywhere other than juke ball big seam nibbling pitches in England so the the jury's out on him but on that as a as a general rule in in first class cricket it hasn't helped us out a massive amount yeah that, that, that that's all fair but do you think that sometimes we overly We've talked before how we overly obsess over the Ashes in particular. But if you play 50% of your test matches at home, mm. if you've got guys who are brilliant in home conditions, isn't that quite a good thing? Like India with Axar Patel, for example, he's not going to play a test match overseas. I know he only played because Jadeja was injured. But that's mm. fine. It right? is, but your, bat- but your batters don't score any runs either, do they? Mm. I mean, that's kind of the uh, that's the flip side of that is is that if, and <laughs> I'll mention his name, if dear old Darren Stevens is still knocking him over at, at 17 in the in the championship, there's a very good chance that you've got a whole generation of batters who don't know what it's like to find the middle of the bat mm. or to make, make runs. You know, we, we were talking, um, Rob Key and I were talking about sort of like the, what the, what the, the guide to a good season was so 20 years ago, you know, the turn of the century and stuff. And if you didn't make a thousand runs, it was, you'd had a poor year, 16 championship games. Now nobody gets within a bull's arse of a, a thousand runs, not even close. So you know the, the the people who are the people who are sort of making a massive impact are guys who are bowling at Steve O's pace, nibbling it around and off stump, and the batters are all struggling like mad, um, desperate. Well, the sensible ones are desperate to get away from places like Lords and um, you know you mentioned you mentioned any other places like Nick Gubbins has just gone to to Hampshire to go and play play on a half decent track and they scored hundred you know mm. first game Mark Stone has gone from the Oval to Middlesex and made a duck in his first match you know you got to pick very carefully where you want yeah. to go and play your four, four day cricket if you're a batter what do you think has changed though in the last twenty years then well I mean they've done I tell you what's happened there's been an attitude change and the thing is I've been around long enough to have watched it work to watch this happen before. Exactly the same thing, whereby the, the the counties or the people making decisions about what happens in first-class cricket get a little bit spooked about the idea of draws being played and draw, draws being played out, members don't like it, boring cricket, etc., etc. And so they do things to spice the game up a little bit. You know, you'll leave a bit more grass on or you'll ban the heavy roller or you'll, you know, get rid of the toss, whatever it might be. 
all of which have the unintended consequence of making batting very, very difficult, of making bowling um, a much more pleasurable exercise, i.e. can you pitch the ball somewhere near on a length and you'll get rewarded for doing that and you don't have to do a great deal else. All of which then has a knock-on effect whereby batters, aren't, batters don't score any runs, you're struggling to find people to make any runs at test match level because everyone feels like they're out of nick the whole time and their techniques are all over the shop. Um, and, and then you get a full sense of security as to how good your bowlers are when, you play, when, you, when they play somewhere else. And this pattern has happened at least once in my, in my professional cricketing lifetime. And it's definitely happened more times than that in my life lifetime. Uh, it's, people forget, you know, that when, when things got better for England, when England eventually won the Ashes and eventually became the number one test side in the world. So Ashes 2005, which was after a, a very, very steady progression of results up until that point. Then it got better and better until number one in the world, 2010-11. Championship cricket was played on white pitches. You got spinners at the back end of the game, quicker, quicker bowlers, Bowlers who had a little bit of something more than just line and length at, at 78 miles an hour were, were the guys that you wanted. Um, and as a result of that, your, your cricketers were harder, better, better prepared for, for test match cricket. And we've gone in the last 10 years, or it's probably even less than that, it's probably the last seven, eight years, we've gone miles as far away from that as you could imagine. And just on a simplistic level to answer the question, what was the guy's name? Jack. Jack, well, I, I think if you... If you're used to taking loads of wickets week in, week out, and then you get your chance to play test cricket, then it doesn't necessarily feel like too much of a jump to continue what you're already doing. If you're not really scoring that many runs in first-class cricket, then you get a test call-up and you're expected to score big runs at that level. That's going to be really difficult when you're not even really doing it to the level that you would like at the level beneath that. So I think, I mean, that's quite a simplistic response to it, but I, th I think that is a big part of it. Ollie Robinson has been full of confidence for years now. He's just used to taking wickets and he's very skilled at doing that. Um, with Robinson I'm, I'm quite hopeful looking at what he does I'm quite hopeful that he can have some success in Australia just because he's so consistent but you know look, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that if that plays out or not but um, he certainly made uh, an incredible start to his to his test career I'm sure there must be loads of stats that you're you're digging up now Yaz but he must be he must be kind of on to be up there with the kind of fastest to 50 wickets or on, on course for that kind of stuff I haven't checked but he must be getting there he must Yaz. be yeah this is when you come alive. Um, so what did you make of Overton's return to the test side? First test in uh, two years. Um, all the first four games ended in defeat for England. Since then, he's averaged 13 in first-class cricket. I thought he was very good. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's been unfortunate that he's had to wait two years to get this go because he's been pretty much on the money since he was dropped. Uh, since he played that Ashes test in 2019, he's been on the money in first-class cricket. He... Immediately, I think, went on that Lions tour, bowled well alongside Robinson uh, in that win over Australia A, exceptional on the Bob Willis Trophy last year, um, and then just been tearing it up in the championship this year. Um, there was that thing about he, you know, he he told me this as well, that he'd kind of worked on, you know, trying to be, you know, be bowling at 100% all the time in the county championship because he'd been told by Ed Smith that he had to try and basically become a bit quicker and he you know, made his run up more intense. We, we, I, I don't know if there's been a noticeable increase in his pace. I think he's kind of still bowling the same pace. I don't know. Um, but he was just, it's just his accuracies there. Um, he gets just enough, you know, out of the pitch, you know, in these conditions. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he was, it was an encouraging performance, but it's also the fact that he was kind of following up after 
Anderson and Robinson kind of torn through it. So you, you're kind of still waiting to see what he can do when, you know, the, 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 the first two guys have kind of struggled and whether he could prize that breakthrough. Actually, to be fair to him in that first, um, in India's second innings, he was the one who got, who got Rohit out, uh, if I'm correct. Um, or no, sorry, he got KL Rahul out. He got, you know, he got that first breakthrough. Um, but yeah, re- really encouraging. And also the fact is that he, he can bat as well. So he is someone who I can kind of see slotting in at that number eight position. Um, when England kind of need it right right now, I mean, Wokes is coming back in, um, and Curran's still there. Is it um, that an incredible thing about? I mean, slightly going off off subject, but England couldn't balance the balance the the, the lineup without Ben Stokes. But now they 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 could balance the lineup unbelievably. But they've decided to play three or three all rounders. <laughs> they've got Moeen Ali, Sam Curran, and uh, and James, uh, Craig Overton all in the side as kind of bowling all rounders, batting from. From seven down to nine or whatever it is, give it. I mean, it's kind of like seriously. What what are you doing? Uh, you know, you've you're overbalancing it now. <laughs> you know, you could pick another specialist batter, or you could pick a, a spin bowler. Some there's lots been lots of stuff about what's happened. Jack Leach, basically, they don't fancy him. I mean, I think I don't think I can say that any any clearer than than what we've seen already. They don't fancy. Him. They don't think he's good enough, and I'm af- I'm afraid they've they've lost two years of his career for him. I'm afraid, but. Um, I hope that answers that question. But you know what I mean? It's kind of you're looking at the way that the side is selected at the minute and all of these guys, as you quite rightly say, are kind of in there because of their all-round contributions. Um, but what is Sam Curran's all-round contribution at the moment? Well, no, it's I, not really... Well, you could have left him out. You could have left him out yeah. of both of the last two They've shown a lot of faith in him in, in, yeah. in this summer because they don't, don't, they don't need sure to I'm not sure he's going to play him. at the Oval. No, well, There's that, no I, need, is there? I assumed he wouldn't, but then Root really quite leapt to his defence when he was asked about the, the balance of the side's uh, post-match, I guess at that point, what else are you going to say other than defend your guy? That's the right thing to do. But it did sort of, the way he said, we always know with Sam there's something exciting around the corner and that they might be at the Oval. Maybe playing at his home ground might be another little temptation to, to keep him in that side. But uh, if Wokes is fit, which has to be kind of in doubt given how little he's bowled, I mean, he's he's absolutely in there. But I'd go, if he's not, then I'd go Mark Wood. Anyway, I think I'd get I'd probably get Wood back in there. And Overton eight, Robinson nine's fine. Absolutely, I think Robinson's a, a decent enough number nine. I think that's fine. And and in time, I think Overton's probably a bit a bit of a better batsman than they're giving him credit for. And I think he he could be really handy. Yeah, I think on on Overton, I thought it was quite interesting. So when he played his first ODI against Pakistan, Crickviz tweeted out that his pace in that game was identical to his pace in his ODI debut three years prior. And I think some people, because there's so much about how he put on an extra yard of pace were then a bit like, oh, actually, has he got that much better? He's only been taking county championship games. But I think, I think he has. I, think, I thought he looked really good. I think the point you made about how relentless he was, that this summer there's been a drop-off at times from when Anderson Robson in bowling and then the first change box come on. There wasn't that at all with Overton. Um, but you were right. There were lots of questions about Jack Leach. Um, and I, I think it's quite interesting that because Jack Leach has got really good career numbers, but he's played a lot of test matches in Asia. Um, there's a stat the other day that Moeen Ali, since Joe Root became England captain, averages 25 with the ball in home test matches. They really rate Moeen Ali as a as a spin bowler for weird for for one reason or another. He's not really played that much recently, but they really do back him. And you know the wicket to take. I know it was only Mohammad Shami, but what a ball that was! <laughs> what a delivery that was! 
and um, the ones against Jadeja in the mm, previous tests. Yeah, as well. I mean, he's I mean, still... he's a, but he is a genuine all rounder. I mean, this is the thing. He's a, as, as, he's as, he's as genuine an all rounder as Ben Stokes is a genu- genuine all rounder. When you consider that Stokes is actually playing more as a batsman nowadays, who comes on to put out a fire or to kind of take a wicket when nobody else can. I mean, Ali's role in an England side, he could bat. He could. I mean, it's not. Doesn't. I'm not saying that he should, but he could bat from anywhere from five down to seven. Um, and gives you and and gives you a guaranteed spin option, even when you're you're reticent to play one, to have one. Um, so you know that it makes absolute sense that he should have been every team that England have picked this summer, given that they have no interest in playing Jack Leach either as the as 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 the number one spinner in a in a in a five man attack, a holding bowler in a four in a four man attack, or when England have every all round position under the sun covered, just as somebody that might be needed to win you the game late on in day five. They don't fancy him at all. Um, and therefore, I think the, the kindest thing for them to do is just to cut him loose. Because it's, you know, his 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 treatment post the India tour has been nothing short of horrendous. At all, which he bowled really well in. Well, exactly. When, if I man, thought that might be a bit of a turning point where they man, did start to show some faith correct, in him. If a man does come, can come back from India, and we know what the conditions were like, we're not going there again. But if a man comes back from India, having bowled at some of the greatest players of spin, you know, that's with inverted commas, quotation marks, um, been successful in India, comes back full of confidence, bowled a shed load of overs, been by far and away England's most effective performer on the entire trip, barring Joe Root, and then just does not even get a sniff. They will do anything but play a, a genuine or a specialist spin bowler. They'd rather play seven seamers and no batters whatsoever than pick Jack Leach, it would seem then, you know, you're kind of wasting your time. And I, I feel, for, I really do feel for him. I really do. Especially the way that India tour went as well, because that, when he, remember when he got taken down by Pant in that in that first test, uh, it was the first test, wasn't yeah. it? And you thought, God, this his tour could actually be over, basically, after this spell. It was it was that kind of brutal. Well, and because Don, because Don Best, don't forget, in the, in the first test match and in, in Sri Lanka before that, had kind of, you know, had taken more wickets, which is moot whether he bowled better than yeah. him or not, but he'd kind of gone gone ahead of him at that the, point and was ahead yeah. of him in the pecking order anyway because he'd played as the lone spinner when when they played one in the in the win in South Africa too yeah. so um, you know he was kind of he was on his way out the door and then he, he fought back from that and then bowled Robert Sharma with an absolute beauty which kind of really set set up that that victory charge uh, and I, yeah I, I interviewed him at that time and I think he thought it was perhaps quite a significant turning point I was on board with that I, I wrote that he now deserves a proper chance to be England's frontline spinner he hasn't been helped I completely agree with Butch I don't think they do have faith in him whatever the circumstances he definitely hasn't been helped by Stokes's absence as well that has caused a kind of recalibration of what the team should look like uh, and they might well have not gone back to Moen uh, if Stokes was there I think um, but yeah even so it, uh, yeah I agree they, whether it's Root or whether it's Silverwood where it's both they don't. They don't fancy him. Even with the Stokes is absent, I, I also don't think Jack Leach is that bad a batsman. You know, I think it, it's kind of there's always that sense of worry that oh, with Leach in there, that just spans a tail. But you know, he's not, he's not a total bunny. I mean, he can he can hold his own with the bat. He's got Test best in ninety two. Um, but I mean, I do still think that Moeen Ali. I think you know. I think Moeen Ali deserves to be in the team. And if you're going to judge a spinner by the best stock ball they produce. I, th- I still think Moen Ali is, has got the best stock ball as a spinner in England and kind of merits his place. Even if even if he wasn't, you know, the batsman that he is, I think, as a spinner, I think I would, I would have Moen Ali in there. Mm. I suppose the question we've got now is, is Josh Butler's not playing, is he, in this test match? So 
Um, what's what what has been the squad change there? Has it been Ollie Pope has come back in? So yeah, the spare batsmen who weren't playing the last Test match are Pope and Lawrence, and Sam Billings is in the squad as cover. And Lawrence is playing for Essex at the moment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Pope is not playing against Durham. Mm-hmm. So you assume that Besto comes in to keeps, and 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 Pope comes in as the. Mm. Although well, that the, Durham game is called off, so I don't know what the original plan, plan was. Would have been yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, would would you just bring in Pope? Yeah, well, I think I've made it pretty clear. I've been kind of itching to get him back in whenever the opportunity arises, and this feels like a, a good way to do it. And actually, the form that Butler's been in, you could argue this is probably strengthening England's batting at a time when it's quite useful to do so. Um, yeah, it's the sort of... T- if things go really well, you might start to wonder if Butler can kind of get, get back in again, that, that his place is still not kind of solidified quite enough, but um, especially with him making noises that he might not necessarily fancy the Ashes this winter as well uh so yeah big 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 test for pope on his comeback if he does come back in and a big test for besto as well who's desperate always been desperate to show he's a, he's a wicket keeper batsman he wants to do both and, and now here's his chance to, to grab it back again pope's never played a test at the oval where he averages 100 in first class cricket so he's at seven we got to pick him on that haven't you <laughs> yeah. anyway really at the very least he can be the oval specialist so only yeah. plays the oval test match. um just quickly on joe root obviously imperious again uh, there's a video on the england social media pages uh, of every scoring shot from that innings in like a two minute clip which is just amazing because he middles pretty much everything um but can you think of comparable runs of form from english batsmen in years gone by vaughan vaughan 2002 2003 so i think the india the india series in 2002 at home i think he might have got i think he had a bit had a bit of difficulty in the 190s i think <laughs> um, good problem to have good problem to have the nerve uh, and, then he, and, and then he carried that on he carried that on obviously to the Ashes 2002-03 which is you know I think that run was as, as well as I've seen anybody play for England or actually and that might even that I don't think I might have said this before where in Australia that winter I think he played as well as anybody I've seen from any country at any time um, you know in a, in a team that was getting getting properly battered in, in that Ashes series he was unbelievably good. It's so, a, yeah, I mean, that that would be another Yorkshireman. But, the start yeah. to uh, Strauss's test career as well, which I think often gets a little bit forgotten because of what he, be- he became a batsman rather than a... Uh, sorry, captain rather than a batsman in many people's minds. But the start of his test career was phenomenal. Three 300s in that South Africa tour? Was it three, I think? Yeah, and crazy numbers off his first year. Yeah. yeah, ridiculous. I mean, and he wasn't... He didn't dominate in the way that, um, that Vaughan did in that period. Uh, not quite the same way, and he wasn't quite as beautiful to watch as, as Root is. But in terms of output, there was a period in Strauss's career where he was right up there with the best opening batsman in the world. Mm, I guess kind of Trot, Peterson, Cook in the early 2000s all had their own little stints where they were very Bell, good. Bell's Ashes. Yeah. But the thing is, that, so you talk about Strauss, and that's before he became a captain. Uh, and with Cook, it's reference to 2011 when he was at speak, but this is before he was captain. Mm. So I'm actually interested to know whether this is probably one of the best runs an England captain's ever had. Gooch, maybe. You'd have to, you'd have to look at G. A. Gooch's numbers around the time where he was making the three, 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 and the, mm. but it's the a really good it's, against the West Indies. But yeah, it's a really good point you make, and especially yeah. when you consider all the other stuff that's been flying around over the last yeah. kind of six, nine, twelve months. Uh, he could be forgiven for what, not being what able do you to. Mean? England, England being basically not very good. You well, mean? and well, that, his that, team being terrible. Well, that definitely, <laughs> but also the external things that he's had to deal with. There have been so many things that I think he's had to deal with more than any England captain before him, probably. Um, and yeah, you could be forgiven for not being able to think 
necessarily 100% clearly when he goes out there, but he seems to have found just an incredible space. And you can kind of imagine like an England captain just getting the job and having this kind of run. So like when Cook big first became captain, he obviously went to India, had a really good run. It's almost like that honeymoon period. But this is roots sort of four years into the job where you should be sort of worn down by it. And he's kind of gone completely the other way where he's kind of like, smiling and like oh this isn't this great and, and then renewed his vows yeah, and just, yeah exactly and just um and there have been a lot of pieces written i thought i think phil might have written one actually that he had to be relieved of the captaincy in order to rediscover his his batting prowess which you know wasn't an outlandish thing to claim at the time yeah because so everyone for, was claiming it. yeah so for him to have to basically have done both yeah. uh is is astonishing i just think he deserves so much credit and he's just so good to watch hmm um Back on India, Kohli was stubbornly defending the balance of his side after the game, effectively saying it's the top six's job to score runs, so there's no point adding extra batting depth and expecting that to change everything. Um, Ishant Sharma bowled weirdly badly, I thought. Do you think they'll make any changes for the four test? They've, they've got to pick Ashran. I mean, you know, this is. Uh, you were talking earlier about whether this was uh, the India. Tour 2014 or Ashes 2011. For me, this is like <laughs> this is this comparison is never going to be made again. But this is Ashwin is 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 the Bresnan here. He comes in for the fourth <laughs> test. He has to. He's the best self spinner in the world, and he's he's on the bench. And you know, there's obviously there's a logic to you know just having Jadeja on that side, but this just feels like the moment. Is Jadeja been... doubtful as well? He had a, there was an injury concern, wasn't there? Yeah, I think he's okay. I think okay. he's okay. Um, and yeah, it's but he tends to play both potentially. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Jadeja's I don't bold. think about Ashwin at seven either. Not in a, not when your top six mm. is struggling as that. And you've got is. that tail as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, 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 I mean, there's been chat that Jadeja might go, even go up to six and pant seven because of pant struggles. But I don't think that will happen. Um, I just think um, I think Shane Warne made this point as well, where he sort of uh, outlined that Jadeja is almost like your your fourth seamer. Like he's just not going to go for any, and then Ashwin's your spinner, and that's that's yeah. Really I, mean, I like, he I, just, he I just like that logic. Yeah. I do. I do like that logic. I mean, look, I, I actually also quite like the very old-fashioned idea that your batters are there to bat and your bowlers are there to take wickets. I do. I do like that. I think there's a certain um, there's a certain sort of uh, up yours about that that whole, whole way of thinking. You know, um, whether or not India have got the right blokes on the park. Is another thing, and the Ashwin question is always is always the one. How can how can any team afford to leave out a guy with his sort of numbers? But um, I don't. I'm not sure that India are going to panic on the on the basis of, of a terrible first innings heading. They I really don't. Um, the, the Ishant thing is an interesting one. He's a bit rusty, wasn't he? Coming into the Test match, he just bowled poorly. Mm. He bowled uh, well at, at Laws, though. It wasn't as if like he hadn't played for ages, and that was his first Test match back. No, and true. Yeah, that's why I thought it was quite interesting. But I mean, he has, I mean, he's, he's, he has sort of um, history with laws, doesn't he? Um, and maybe maybe the, the sideways slope at one ground and the up and down slope at the other kind of threw him off. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, imagine, I mean, we, we might get to this when we get to the quarterfinals of the, the blast and stuff, but imagine the, 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 the grounds that we play on in this country <laughs> in comparison to every area. You can't have a flat one, can't have a flat pitch, can't have, a, can't have an oval-shaped yeah. ground. But anyway... Mm. Look, it, you know that that you wouldn't legislate for that, would you? A player of his experience and a player with his, you know, his, his career arc, which has gone, which has gone upwards, isn't it? Can you have an upward arc? I suppose you can. Yeah, I, I think the, the two pictures coming up could really suit Ashwin as well. Obviously, you've got that six for Fasari at the Oval, and Manchester has been spinning all summer, so uh, that could be interesting. Um, a question from one of our regular 
listeners, the Runout blog asks, how hard is it um, to add a shot to your game or grow the confidence to implement it in a test match? And how much of it is purely confidence? Ollie Robinson said that he only learnt his new wobble seam ball that nips in last week from Anderson, yet implemented that to good effect. How different is that from a batter to a bowler to learn and implement something new? Um, I don't know. I think I, I think if you are... I think if you are technically sound enough, you can add add and subtract these things pretty pretty straightforwardly. Um, but for example, the the wobble seam I'm guessing is is basically a, a a change in the way that you hold your fingers on the seam of the ball, and the rest of your action doesn't change at all. So it's just sort of getting used to releasing the releasing the ball with the fingers a bit wider, then a little bit sort of closer together on the seam, and that really shouldn't change a great deal. So you're basically saying. Bowling is easier than batting. No, no, no. I'm ba- what I'm basically saying is, is that you can do you can do both things. If you, mm. for example, um, you know, the uh, India tour of 2000 and 2001, the only India tour I went on, you know, it's kind of pitches were slow and, and slow turners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I kind of I kind of developed um, a, a sort of a fine sweeping game or a game where I could sweep anywhere from mid wicket round to round to fine leg. And it wasn't something that I did at home. Because you didn't need to, you had a little bit more pace on the ball to get it through extra cover and in front of square. But on those pitches, it was it was kind of well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do this. And so I, you know, I can't remember how, who I worked with on it. It might have been was Thorpey there? No, it might have been Duncan or, or somebody. Just just the way of being able to to change change where I had my where I got the bat as the ball was being released. So I'd actually try and sort of point the toe of the bat down the down the pitch early in order to be able to then be in the right position to decide how fine or whatever it was. And you did that between the first warm-up game and the first and the first test match. It wasn't much used to be in the first test, but it wasn't the second. But you know what I mean, you kind of you just have to you have to think on your feet sometimes. Um, and as long as you're not as long as you're not sort of rebuilding or having to rebuild an entire technique in order to bring in a shot or in a delivery, it really shouldn't be that difficult for people who are as, as highly skilled as guys playing test matches should be. Just just related to that, I enjoyed, it was a clip I saw on Wisdom.com of uh, an Indian journalist giving Virat Kohli mm. and his team some technical advice on batting, uh, saying they should be playing more off the back foot. Uh, Cody said well, the balls are all quite full deliveries <laughs> and he said yeah but India seems to be missing chances on the back foot and Kohli's look there I mean honestly if looks could kill but he, he stayed remarkably restrained yeah I, I know he, just, he kind of appeared of silence just said okay thanks right, and then thanks for your, thanks for your help <laughs> I mean you know that technically that they batted absolutely superbly in the, in the first two test matches right they they outbatted England's England's top order against the moving and swinging ball um to have to an absolutely huge degree, and then nicked them all at Headingley. You know, yeah. I mean that's that, that's kind of part of the reason why we're why we're sort of all looking at this and trying to explain it. Sometimes there's nothing to explain. They nicked them all on at Headingley, and they missed them all at, at Lords and at, at Trent Bridge. But technically, they still played in almost exactly the same way as they did. And I guess one thing about one thing about top order batting against the moving ball is this: is that you might be technically sound, you might have have it all right, and you might have made runs in the first two Test matches, but eventually you it's going to get you, you know, and the concentration required to kind of rein yourself in and be disciplined outside of stump and play straight and not look to sort of get out of your box and look look to drive uh, balls that are not quite there becomes quite a difficult thing to kind of to hold on to over a five test match series. You might be able to do it for four innings, but can you do it for 10? 
you know and that that in itself is is a challenge to batters it's not something you can see in technique and with split screens but that's something that goes on in the mind it's like christ am i seriously am i going to have to not play this cover drive for another test match you know and eventually you have a go at what oh shit that's why i've been leaving <laughs> it, you know what i mean that's yeah. i mean that's just batting that's the that's the beauty of a five test match series where you go up against the same bowlers if you manage to to last the series without getting dropped you go up against the same bowlers time and time again they're very good you're very good um, they'll win sometimes, you'll win sometimes. Hmm. I thought Coley was remarkably straight, not just because of that question, which, by the way, how is playing a little bit more off the back foot going to stop you nicking balls that swinging that are full? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but but also in terms of, uh, like, he actually gets loads of questions like that. So it was a 15-minute press conference after they've just lost by an innings. And a lot of the questions were just l- lacking subtlety and like basically saying, so and so your team's doing really badly. What do you think? It's like, that's, re- that's really <laughs> I've, hard I've to been, deal with. Particularly in India, obviously, when there are a lot of Indian journalists and the press conferences last a bit longer, they are often quite tense affairs because they really mm. do give them a grilling and in quite specific ways that I think that the questions that, yeah, are certainly more um, pointed, yes. perhaps. Than the English journalists, yeah, which you know is, is quite fun to watch. Yeah, I quite, is, quite is. enjoy it, but it's certainly a bit tense. <laughs> yeah, um, well, we're recording the podcast over the next few weeks from Sixes Cricket Club. If you haven't heard about Sixes, Sixes Cricket Club is a new cricket-themed social entertainment venue with a restaurant, bar, and cricket nets. All Wisdom podcast listeners can receive ten percent off their food and drink by quoting Wisdom Ten on their booking notes. Joe, what's your moment of the week? Um, so my moment of the week. Um, Actually, kind of relates to the last quarterfinals, which I think we're going to come on to. But it was uh, less than 48 hours after Sussex had pulled off a win against Yorkshire. Uh, Rashid Khan playing one of the most watchable innings uh, you could ever imagine. Some outrageous shots in that. Um, But yeah, the press release came through from Sussex announcing that Phil Salt and Chris Jordan would both be leaving the club at the end of the season. Uh, Chris Jordan's going back to Surrey to be their T20 captain. Phil Salt is off to Lancashire. Uh, Jordan's a massive loss I mean he's a world class bowler but you can kind of see he's at that point in his career you can see why he'd want that challenge I think Salt leaving a kind of homegrown player who's still yet to reach his peak that would have been particularly gut-wrenching for Sussex and Sussex fans and Rob Andrew their chief executive did a did a video I guess to kind of allay the fears of fans I watched it it wouldn't have allayed my fears particularly Um, he said you just got to respect their decisions which obviously you do but there's a a kind of fundamental issue here where you've got uh, some of the best young players or just best players in general in Chris Jordan's uh, situation uh, who want to go and play at test match ground counties or or counties that host 100 obviously is pretty much the same thing Uh, and counties like Sussex are going to suffer and Sussex have had a miserable year in county championship in terms of their record, but there's been that kind of thing. They're trying out these youngsters. They're building for the future. T20 is their thing. T20 is what they can win each year, and they've got a good chance of doing so this year. If they're going to lose players like Salt and Jordan, they're not going to be competing for that either. And Sussex fans are going to start to think, well, well what are we competing in? Yeah, is it is it the money, do you think, that just the bigger counties just have more money? That, that's that been happening for a while, hasn't it? That, that, you, that there was that theory that you, you need to be a bigger division one county the, the the conference system changes that now but in terms of money that's that how does that change money that's must a, be a huge factor well it, it is it you know chris, chris jordan would was not doing very badly not doing badly down at sussex was one of the few sort of senior guys they've got down there they wouldn't be paying very much for archie lenham and co um and they all get the same amount of cash from the center i think i think perhaps 
in what you are saying, there is some truth, but not in the way that you mean it. In that Sussex's early part of the season in the Championship, you're right, they're completely and utterly uncompetitive. Now, yes, they can win the win the blast. The fact that they have been playing in a in a in a first class setup that has not been particularly competitive um, has not changed. Uh, has not changed anything in terms of those players want to want to be at Sussex. What has changed is that you're playing on a large amount of your cricket in a team that is getting pumped the whole time, um, and the grass looks greener elsewhere. Now that has happened since the dawn of time. It kind of doesn't matter that there's that there's no hundred team at, at, at Sussex because you know players moved before there were hundred teams. You know and they would go towards the you know the bigger cities and whatever. I think that the, the issue is is that if you if you are if you're setting yourself up as Sussex are for sort of some renaissance in, down the line and in the future, how long are you able to keep hold of players who have ambitions, higher ambitions in all forms of the game, white ball and red ball, if you're surrounded by youngsters who don't really know a great deal and you're getting pumped the whole time? I know if, if I was 25, 26 and kind of wanted to play for England, but your team, the team you're playing in is terrible, you'd be thinking to yourself, you know what, I've got I've got no chance if I stay here. I'm gonna to have to go somewhere else. And, but um, the two things are linked as well, aren't they? And that so the hundred hosting venues are taking a cut of ticket sales. So counties that don't host the hundred are missing out in that sense. So that, that gulf is beginning to widen, which well, won't I mean, exacerbate mate, the, the issue that we're could, talking but about. But you can you I don't think you can argue that after one after one season. I don't think Phil Salt's decision to leave Sussex is gonna be based on whether the you know he had a, he's, but it might be it might influence what Lancashire can offer him if they know what's what's coming well, through the door. Yeah, but there is there is a salary cap. You know, there are all of these all of these clubs have have salary caps. There are obviously packages and things that go along with all that kind of thing. Um, but I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that I wouldn't have thought that that would have made a massive amount of difference. To be honest with you, uh, just to add on that as well that uh, Steve Finn has has left Middlesex to go to Sussex. So I guess is being brought in as a as a sort of like-for-like like replacement for Jordan. But the reality is, even though they're both 32, which surprised me when I looked that up earlier, um, Jordan is a, a much higher point in his career than Finn, who seems to be kind of on the decline. So Sussex fans, I don't think, will see that as a like-for-like like replacement, mm. really. Mm. And I guess from Lancashire's point of view as well, they've lost Alex Davies, who's one of the best keeper batsmen in the country, to Warwickshire. So that just needed filling, and Salt would be one possibly top of the list of yeah. players to go for in the country. Tar, what's your moment of the week? Well, like Joe mentioned, Rashid Khan, <clears throat> that knock for Sussex to send them through to, to finals day. Um, because he's such a ridiculously talented bowler, you know, he's the best T20 bowler in the world, really. Um, you kind of forget how exciting he is as a batsman. And so Sussex were kind of, they were kind of down and out when he sort of walked into bat. Um, and then he just smashes 27 off nine. Um, and he plays these shots and, you know, they've just got these like extra little, flourishes to them it's, but you were there right there was a, yeah, there was a, yeah. I mean, a nice kind of, bit of country on one of those shots yeah, as he, did, yeah, he played yeah. it over the top and yeah, did a ridiculous thing with his wrist like that is completely pointless <laughs> but it looks great yeah. and we love him for it yeah, we love some of that yeah. I think I think well you know the, my um, my gripes about that that game and what Yorkshire did to it and for it um, have been well documented but I think you know part of that was that inning so I think when he was on about seven he hit one out to point and you had that ridiculous um, that ridiculous angle on the on the boundary, where the boundary went from being you know decent size to uh, to very very small within a space of about ten yards because it was on some kind of isosceles triangle angle back, and he and 
Rashid Khan would have been out. He'd have been caught at cover point. But unfortunately, as the fielder started to move to his left, he started to move outside of the <laughs> outside the line of the fence because the fence didn't go round like it normally would. It went across. And so he ended up going from, he would have caught it about a metre inside the line <laughs> of the boundary had it been normal. But as it was, it ended up a long way over. It went for six and he went on to win him the game. Yeah. We which, give, which made me laugh a lot. We should give some context to that, shouldn't we? For those who didn't see that game, that, uh, that Yorkshire were playing at Durham because the test match was at Headingley. And they tried to recreate the dimensions of mm. their ground at Durham, which meant these kind of green expanse, which just wasn't being used, which would look very odd. And these kind of right angle. Yeah. Uh, I find it interesting how specifically they did it. So it wasn't just like, oh, that, that one's shorter. But they, they got the right angles in. And also... They, put the, they actually sent an email specifying the degree, the angles, degrees, and the exact length, the distance between the stumps and the... I mean, it was utterly... And you had huge swathes of outfield sort of sitting outside of this and we're tucked up into a corner of the ground at Chester Street it was utter nonsense and, and it, I guess fans must have been because fans wouldn't have necessarily understood what was going on I don't know how that how you translate that to them so they must mm. be thinking you well, turned up for yeah. a, a game because like why aren't they using hard <laughs> yeah. <field?" laughs> like, well, and, and also I mean not to make it you know fine do what you want it's, it's your home game do what you like if you think that's going to help you out whatever but then to do that and then win the toss and decide that you were going to defend on a pitch that was net on a on an outfield that was now like a Sabutio pitch. It was so small. It was just kind of like, I'm like, what are you doing? And they lost. It's, oh, well. quite, it's quite interesting <laughs> though that I don't think I'd realised that he- heading these outfield was, was so much smaller than, than the ground oh, like Chester Street. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was completely fair enough. You you earn a home quarter final and their home record was very good and their away record was rubbish. So uh, it was completely Well, you earned the right to enough. make a decision, no, but you, they just made yeah. a poor one. You made the right. decision, yeah. I mean, I, I just would have, I might have, again, watching the way that, see, it's, it's all very well and good to say this is how we've done it at Headingley, but don't forget that you're not playing at Headingley, you're playing somewhere else, right? There's, there are no slopes, the, the pitch is different, all this kind of stuff. So I might have looked at what Durham did to win. Durham would play on the biggest expanse of outfield as you like. They would they would bat first, yes, but they would play on a big, big field and make it very, very difficult for a team to chase whatever down, you know, whatever totals down that they'd made. Um, fine. But if you're going to make the ground very, very tiny then you might have a think about chasing, even though you've not done that particularly particularly well at home. Mm. Um, you know, when they got beat. They, mm. um, <laughs> Butch, you, you, you covered um, the, all, all four quarterfinals, right? Yeah. All four. Um, how, how did you find it compared to the month of cricket you saw before that in the 100? I, specifically, I mean, you had really good finishes. The, the, the Knots game was completely bonkers, the finish there. But I thought watching personally watching the Somerset game in front of a packed house and seeing how much the fans were into it and also the players as well so Tom Abel off the game was actually quite emotional and I think uh, David Hopps from Quick Info said he interviewed him the day before the game and he almost thought that Abel was too pumped up mm. 24 hours out of the game what what was that like to cover compared to well the I mean Taunton is if you've covered as many blast games as I have over the last 10 years or so Taunton is always one of the best place for, for one of those nights anyway um Always great support, hugely into into the cricket. All you know, love the the home players. You know, people like Max Waller, who who's not even playing, is kind of cult hero down there. You know, the whole thing is is brilliant. It's a great place to go and to go and um, broadcast um, cricket from. And so there was no surprises there. Obviously, there's there was a bit of there was a bit of feeling from some of the supporters while we were doing our top of the show. They were abu- hurling abuse at us over the uh, you know into the microphones as we're trying to you know set up the game. Because it was our fault, of course, that um, 
that the, the hundred being was being commentators on the hundred for being yeah for being from Sky and for, for commentating on the hundred. So there was people yelling abuses. Then the game game got on and it was superb. You know, you kind of I kind of thought that Somerset chasing a little bit of due, whatever. Uh, they they should have ended up chasing two hundred plus, but they they bowled brilliantly and fought back incredibly well. Roared on by their home fans and, and Tom Abel, who I think is a very very fine cricketer. Um, and of the two. There's two guys at the minute, two uncapped players um, for England at the minute that I think will not stay that way for very long. One of them's Abel and the other one's Harry Brook. Um, and so, so to what, answer... For, what formats do you think for those two? Just... Well, either. Any. any. So I say either, you know, as white and red. Um, but yeah, but any. Um, and so not, it it did not surprise me whatsoever. I mean, starved of, of cricket. They hadn't had a game down there for a month. So everyone was bouncing out of their skins to come down and play uh, to, to watch. So brilliant, and and nothing that we haven't seen from Tordon before. Nothing that was not un, not unexpected. Um, Knotts was interesting. I mean, so so a couple of the grounds, couple of the grounds in the hundred, and this is this is not cheerleading for one against the other or anything like that. I'm just observing what I've seen. Birmingham was very very interesting because uh, Edgbaston, I have not seen apart from finals day. You do not get, don't get crowds like the, the ones that we've seen at, at, at the hundred games. And you do not get an atmosphere like the ones we've had at the undergrounds at, at, at Birmingham. Trent Bridge, different. Trent Bridge, they would regularly, regularly probably get more fans in for for Nottinghamshire playing than did for the hundred. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Potentially, one is that so much of the stands get taken up by stages and goodness knows whatever else. But also, people genuinely love their their night out to watch the Outlaws play, and why not? They've been the most successful, one of the most successful teams in it. So. Um, Oddly subdued at Trent Bridge. Part of that was because of a, a two-week-old pitch that sort of stopped the stopped the ball from being hit out of the park. And then you had that incredible turnaround, that incredible finish where the Hampshire boys all ended up lying on top of each other at the end. You know, absolutely. But thank God it ended up as a good finish because before that it was utterly dire. Uh, <laughs> and and it, that annoyed me. Annoyed me from the from the point of view that you that county cricket has been. Um, you know, has been missed and has been maligned, and you f- you can fill the ground up, and yet you don't provide the sort of surface which will provide the sort of entertainment that will have everybody, um, you know, everybody bouncing up and down and, and saying what a great thing, haven't we missed it? And, and shouldn't this be the way that we do it always? Um, but what you did end up with was a great finish, which you can't legislate for, but it happened. Thank God it happened, because otherwise it would have been a bad old night. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it was. It's, I've I've been so much in support of the hundred for the last four or five years because on the every year it has seemed to me on the in the last four or five years that things have been going upwards that the the support has been there and people have followed it. Um, obviously, you've got no um, uh, free to air television in that, and obviously so you mean the, the blast in the yeah, yes, blast, blast yeah, sorry yeah. the blast. Obviously, you've got no free to air television pumping that up outside, and you've had no you know no marketing budget. No one spent any money marketing the the blast since two thousand and three. Um, I'd love for the quarterfinals to be on free-to-air television. Yeah, I mean, well, especially maybe, when they're if they're going to be so soon after maybe, 100 as well. Maybe there's maybe there's something in that for for the powers that be to look at. Um, uh, but you know, in t- in terms of was one was one better than the other? I mean, Somerset <laughs> Somerset is a different case than anywhere else I think in the country. And that what you got down there was exactly what you would expect: parochial, loud, vocal. Loved it. The players kind of responding with a, um, with with that sort of passion, um, and everywhere else was was you know was good. You know they were good. 
they were they were really good. As as a lot of the a lot of the hundred games were were really good. And the mm. only game that ended up being a damp squib was the was the final one where Kent absolutely battered Birmingham mm. Bears. And because cricket is the game that it is, you get close finishes and you get finishes that aren't close. And and nothing between the two formats changes that. Mm. That happens anyway. Mm. So that's so that's me. That's it. Your tips for the championship title, Kent. Uh, might not have won a game in the championship. Not but they yet. Are, no. They are in, at finals day. Yes, that's that's true. You got four. You got four <laughs> southern teams. Throw that in no, there, it's all, all good. I definitely <laughs> would have brought it up. If it was the other way around. Um, four southern teams at finals day, and yeah, Kent are one be. of them. Um, the county championship kicked back into action yesterday. The eighteen teams are now split up into three divisions. Um, we're recording this uh, just at the beginning of day two in division. One, Somerset are without, obviously, Craig Overton, who's with England, but also Lewis Gregory, who will not bowl another ball this summer through injury. Um, not finished the day, 280-odd for six, 50 for Joe Clark. Chris Benjamin scored a ton on his county championship debut, batting at three for Warwickshire against Lancashire. So his dream summer continues as also a day 100 for Sam Hain too, his first first-class ton since 2019. And it was against a strong Lanks attack um, Mahmood and Parkinson both playing. There's potentially worrying news for Liam Livingston. He went off the field with a shoulder injury, diving by the boundary. Didn't look great. Um, there's no additional news yet, so our fingers are crossed because it could be a huge few months for him if he stays fit. Um, and Yorkshire finished day one against Hampshire on 197 for six. Um, each team carried three points from the conference stage of the tournament. So Warwickshire start top, having beat Knotts in both of their conference game. So if they win at Lanks, that could be huge in divisions two and three other cricket was played um <laughs> anik asks thoughts on the format now we've reached the split tar well so the thing is when when the season started and you're kind of thinking oh everyone's in it how how great is this like you know this this group stage is great but then there was always that sort of concern where you get to this divisional stage and division one great you know six top sides going for it brilliant but then div two and div three it's just like you're playing four games each and it's just, what for? I mean, you know, there's there are arguments to be made that, you know, this is your opportunity to, to you know, get some kids playing and, you know, develop <laughs> next season. But then what's the point of the, the here and now? You know, why why should, why should people go and watch this really? It's it's becoming what, um, it's becoming what we, we talk about with the, the 50 over comp. It becomes the <laughs> developmental competition because you're not really... I don't know, but even then, you're playing for something in that fifty-over thing here. Division two, division three. I don't really understand what's what, what you're really going for. And then suddenly, two months of the summer is almost developmental cricket, which is which is huge. That's a, well, such I, a significant <clears throat> chunk of the summer. I guess the argument is is the stuff that we've had so far, and the division one, division one stuff we've got now. Is that good enough uh, for this to be the worthwhile trade-off that you have some kind of pretty insipid cricket to finish the season? And I think a lot of people before it happened felt like it would be and now it's actually here it's like god this is actually quite a lot of cricket with not Mm. much hanging on it and and the argument we're just talking about this before before the start of this the argument with blooding young players is is a strong one to some degree but if those players are being blooded in in cricket with no intensity no real nothing hanging on the game there are so many other young players that actually you're not being thrown into an existing experienced team you're just playing with another bunch of kids well is that any difference playing under 19s or playing second 11 cricket i'm not sure that argument is quite as strong as as I probably myself thought it mm. thought it was when this was talked about. So there are flaws in it, but as we know with counting cricket, there is no perfect scenario. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm uh, Daryl Mitchell. Obviously played a lot of county cricket for a long time. Felt this structure 
was the best that he had seen in in his time in county cricket. Now he plays for Worcester in Division Three. I wonder what he would say at the end of the season, whether he still thinks this is the way to go or whether actually his teammates, I don't know if he's actually playing in, in this mm. round of games, whether his teammates feel like the whole energy has been sucked out of it and them by the end of this thing. Yeah, so I was, I, you know, it's interesting about the, going back to what we were talking about with players moving. I mean, if you if you calculate that the likelihood is your your team isn't going to be quite strong enough to finish in the in the top six and finish up playing Division One cricket where you can win the championship, then you'd be thinking to yourself, I need to get the hell out of here now. I don't want to play four. I'm, I want four championship matches at the end of the season, which most people are thinking are com- a complete waste of time. And I'm with you. I, I kind of I looked at it at the beginning and thought, oh, I quite I kind of like this. Um, but now it's no, it's no good. You can't you can't have four four championship matches that mean absolutely nothing to to the vast majority of the teams playing. I'm and, afraid. And in the two divisions, we were talking about this earlier. Um, but in the two divisions you wouldn't actually have that many dead games. Four games out, enough teams in Division 2 would be in with a chance of promotion that even if you're playing a team at the bottom, um, there's something on it. And and also, I just we talked about Sussex already on the podcast, but if, you're, if, if you've got a club like Sussex who lose so many players to the 100 and they're not in Division 1, their season, with the exception of the Blast, ends really early on. The season basically is done by by July twentieth, with the exception of potentially three T Twenty games. The other thing is when you say you have two divisions, and then you still have, of, of course, you're still going to have kind of games that are kind of dead. Yeah. But you still have to look to the table and see, oh, okay, right, this game doesn't really matter. But here it's like div two, div three, dead, right? You know, you're not looking at seeing who's playing who and yeah, thinking, yeah. well, they've got something to play for here. They might go up, they might go down. Don't forget the people going down as well. I mean, one of the problems with what with how the, the, the two division thing ended up was because they were trying to manipulate the the, 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 the finishing standings, you'd end up with, what was, what was the... the was it one team went down or something and three came? I can't remember. They were trying to get 10 in one and eight in the other, weren't yeah. they? I mean, again, you can't have that. I remember at the beginning of two divisions where I think it started off with three up, three down, and that was too many. Two up, two down is just oh, yeah. is fine. <laughs> exactly, of course. It's the two up, two down is the perfect way. And having and now having given this a, a bit of a try and realising that everybody's still playing 14 matches. I know we had that slightly lopsided thing in the two divisions where, where one team wouldn't play the other one twice and... If you were lucky, you, that was the worst team in the in the lot. And if you were unlucky, you played the best team or whatever. It was never going to be perfect in order to get to 14 matches. But at the moment, we've got 14 matches still. 15, if you include the, the Bob Willis Trophy for whoever gets through to that to that five-day match at the end. Um, and yet, most of those games don't mean, don't mean anything from a hell of a long way out. Uh, and that can't stand. So I mean, the only way to do it is to go back to the original, back to the sort of the midway of of two divisions with two up and two down again, or or have less teams. I mean, that's those are those are your two options, I'm afraid. And the ECB have got an easy get out here, haven't they? They never said this was the new permanent yeah. structure. This was sort of came about through accident and and through COVID circumstances. So no one is going to hammer them if they leave this, but they've got to make that decision. I mean, pretty quickly, right? Yeah, um, absolutely, and. Yeah, I think on balance, I think they'll probably have to. Yeah, I think two two divisions will probably be what they end up going back to, but we'll mm. we'll see. Um, England's white ball series against New Zealand gets underway very soon. Their original squad included two uncapped players who impressed in the hundred: Charlie Dean and Maya Boucher. 
Unfortunately, both will miss the first game of the series after being identified as close COVID contacts. Emma Lamb has been called up to the squad as a replacement. Um, there's actually a really interesting interview on Ravi Chandran Ashwin's YouTube channel with Kate Cross. Um, where They talked quite a lot about the 100 and the prospect of a women's IPL. Um, but there's one interesting bit from Cross on Lamb. Um, and Cross talked about how obviously it was brilliant to play in front of big crowds. But she said that for a lot of players, it was quite difficult adjusting to that, having played all their cricket in front of much, much smaller crowds before. And said that Lamb was one player who played slightly within herself in the 100 in front of bigger crowds, put more value on her wicket um, compared to what she's been doing in the other domestic comps where she's been one of the players of the summer and been basically smashing it from ball one. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, And yeah, Tash Farron is back in the um, squad who bowled very well in the 100 and Freya Davies is another really good T20 bowler who's back in squads. So I spoke to Lisa Kitely on Friday for the upcoming issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and she was talking about this because it's three T20s and then five ODIs against New Zealand and then there's games in Pakistan in October as well. Mm-hmm. It's a real chunk of, of, of significant cricket uh, and she said there's going to be a lot of rotation in, in these games. She said I think it's five one day is in ten days so she said it's not realistic for everyone to play all those games. Mm-hmm. The best way to keep the side winning is to actually freshen it up, keep giving different players a go which is is not a luxury they'd have been able mm. to have really well, not well, so it's, long ago it's not something they've been very keen to do either that's true i mean yeah um but i think i think that one thing that has has come out of out of the many great things that have come out of the 100 for the for the women's game is just that there is there are a lot more players around there who are who are very very close or if not already good enough to be to to play international cricket for the women's team so that's that's great. I mean, you look if you if you look at the the women's game as though it only started five years ago, right? Sort of, or t- it's got a ten year history or something, and you were kind of trying to do something to elevate everything about it. It's it's um, visibility, it's quality, all that type of stuff. Then you pretty much do what's been done. I think um, it's very different for something that's been established for for a hundred odd years in in the men's game. So you're almost talking about two completely different outcomes for for the same product but um well it's quite amazing for the women's game she she said uh english women's cricket needed the 100 she said and and she said they're not she thinks the gap on australia is rapidly closing to the point they're almost on a par she said just that pool of players to choose from is slightly bigger in australia but that that gap has been rapidly rapidly closed she said also it just means she's she's feels much more able to give players debuts knowing that they can cope with the pressure because they've done it or done something similar to it um someone like alice capsey we've mentioned on the show a couple of times before she's not in this squad but from speaking to lisa it's clear that she's very very close and, and will play soon i think and she probably wouldn't have been able to give her that that chance uh until well, until she was quite a bit older because she just wouldn't have had that cricket under her belt as it is she's she's seen over invincibles to a match winning total in the eliminator final in front of a decent crowd and has coped with pressure and has shown not only she's got the talent, but she can deal with all the other stuff around it, which is massive in international cricket. It's nice that you can actually talk about bolters now in sort of selection for women's teams because before it's kind of like you have your pool of centrally contracted players and you know, you're really just going to pick from there, uh, whereas now someone can kind of come out of the blue. But also w- with Farrant that you were mentioning before, um, you know, she's she's leading wicket taker in the 100. She was so good, brilliant at the death, bowls these slow balls and it's kind of I'm quite excited to see if she gets to go as well yeah so also it's just actually made women's cricket much uh easier and more enjoyable to cover as well so i mean butch saying that that side barely changed for years it actually meant from our from a journalistic perspective you've spoken to everyone everyone knows their <laughs> stories they've been playing that team for 
it's 10 years together for a lot of them. Now you've got players, young players with different interesting backstories uh, who you can talk to, learn more about. They become role models for different sections of society. We just didn't really have that for a while. And I think it's it's just made the whole thing so much more vibrant and, and interesting mm, and different. Absolutely. Um, in the Charlotte Edwards Cup, the Northern Diamonds, the Vipers and the Southeast Stars are the three sides to make it through to finals day. Um, the, the way it works is this, the team with the most points goes straight to the final. The other two go into a semi-final. So the Stars go straight to the final, having won five of their six group games. Um, some sad news to finish the show with. Former England captain Ted Dexter passed away last week at the age of 86. Dexter played 62 tests for England between 1958 and 1968. Averaged nearly 48 with the bat and captain England on 30 occasions. That is all we've got time for on today's show. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Tar. Cheers, Butch. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, tell your friends and we'll be back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.